hello and welcome to the sports is job podcast journey of the working sports professional first off i just want to say thank you to all of you who've participated in our debut of the weekly thursday hashtag sports is job chat it was amazing to see so many people engage with the different questions that we had that we asked about based on the topics we discussed with last episode's guest max simpson it just reassured me and showed me how amazing the sports is job family it really is. We appreciate your support. We appreciate you taking the time to really participate in our discussion and networking with all the different individuals out there. So with that being said, we have another amazing episode for all of you today. So let me introduce today's guest. Today's guest has over 20 years in college athletics. He has been with Mississippi State University since 2000. Currently, he is an executive senior associate AD slash Bulldog ticket in operation. He says he hates to be cliche, but in the episode, he reminds us that relationships, hard work, and passion will never get old. And today's guest is Mike Ritchie. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Sports is a Job podcast journey of the working sports professional this is one half of the, of the podcast my name is colby castillo and again i have the co-host olivia here hi everyone and so with today's episode um, we have a real treat for all of you i'd like to informally introduce mike ritchie to the sports is a job podcast how are we doing today doing great thank you guys for having me so i'd like to start off i know your official title is executive senior associate ad slash Bulldog Ticket and Operations. And that's a very lengthy job title, I'd probably say. So if you could please describe, you know, what your job, job responsibilities are and what do you do day to day? Yeah, well, uh, really, I'm just, uh, I'm over the internal operations for our fundraising area and for our ticket office. And so basically, I just handle kind of our day-to-day operations in-house uh, for, uh, for development and ticketing. And, and really, that's... Uh, that's a little bit different than the way a lot of schools are structured and a lot of, a lot of athletic departments ticketing is under external affairs and, and uh, fundraising a little bit separate from, uh, from ticketing. And so here, the way we're structured, we have ticketing and fundraising very closely related. Uh, and it's been that way now for probably 10 or 12 years. And, uh, and for us, it's structured that way because the way we do our annual fund fundraising is, is related very closely to seating priority and, and, uh, um, price uh, donations per seat, donation requirements per seat. And so we really felt like that having ticketing and fundraising very close to related in the organizational structure was was healthy for our staffing and healthy for um, uh, our customer service for our donors and our fans. And so um, that, that's kind of the area that I oversee and, and uh, it seems to work really well for us. And, and our staff, we don't have a very large staff, so I think it helps to, the, to have both of those staffs working on the same thing it kind of in essence doubles the size of our staff in some regard that, that our ticketing folks can can help with our donors and some of their annual fund donor issues and also our development staff can help with ticketing issues at the same time so it really kind of helps to, to increase the size of our staff in essence mm-hmm. and i don't mean to make you feel old at all but um <laughs> you, you started you in 1995 and olivia and i i've been i was born in 1997 so you've been doing this probably as long as I've been born. Um, So what makes a person successful in athletic development? What has made you successful? 
Well, I think, you know, it's going to sound cliche and I, I, I hate to sound cliche, but, you know, really, whether it's development or ticketing or, or anything really on the external side, I, I think it's all about relationships and, uh, you know, much of, of what we do in athletics nowadays is, is really built around the experience. And we, we talk a lot about the experience here at Mississippi State and whether it's the, the student athlete experience or the experience that our staff has on a day-to-day basis is, is very important to us. The experience that our fans have when they come to campus um, the game experience and so that experience really can't be good for everybody unless the relationship is good so we want our our staff members to have a good relationship internally we want our our donors and our fans to feel like they have good relationships with us and we work hard to, to foster those relationships and so um, I think that's really the secret to success for for everybody so um, you know, if we work hard to, to build those relationships and, and to make them strong and to make sure we understand what everybody's goal is and everybody has a different goal. You know, some, some people are, um, you know, their goal is, is to, to, to make sure that they have the, the right tickets and the right seat locations and they want their family to come and have a, to have a good experience every Saturday and, and come to football and tailgate and, and some people, um, you know, they have a different goal in mind. They, they want to be able to, to park in the right spot and they want to be around other families and they want to experience the game in a different way. So you have to be able to understand what everybody's goal is and uh, you have to be able to help them to achieve that goal. And so, uh, again, it comes back to the relationship that you have with them. How comfortable are they calling you and, and talking to you about what they need? How comfortable are you being able to pick up the phone and call them uh, when they have a problem and, and dealing with that? So. Um, you know, again, it's, it's very cliche to say, and it sounds like the answer to every question, but relationships are always going to be the key to success and, and just about everything that we do in the whole department, really. So you talk about football a lot. Is there any specific role that you have on Mississippi State football game days? You know, I, I think my role has evolved over time. I, I have been here a long time. I've been in Mississippi State for almost 20 years. It'll be 20 years in August. And our game days have evolved in all of our sports, not just football, but they've evolved in all of our sports. And, and my role has evolved uh, over time as well. And so, you know, when I first got here, I was doing more of a marketing type role and I, I was scripting out games and doing timing sheets and playing music and doing all kinds of different things. And, and um, you know, I, I, I've done more ticketing, I've done more marketing, I've done more, um, you know, kind of, game day management type stuff. And now I'm to the point where I'm kind of, I kind of oversee the, the ticketing and, and development areas. And so um, most of my game days are spent kind of roaming around, just making sure everything is, is going well and there are, there are no real problems. I, I, I kind of see myself as being there to put out fires if anything pops up. And so being able to roam around, I think gives me the freedom to see a lot of people. And I, I, I spend a lot of time in the ticket office uh, itself and and that to me is where I see most of our people I, I when I first started going to the ticket office and just spending time there I was amazed at how many of our donors really uh, even a lot of our major donors came by the ticket office and whether they were dropping off tickets for for will call and leaving them there for people to pick up or whether they were coming there for reprints or or whatever maybe that was just a meeting place where they were meeting their friends to to give them tickets and and whatnot I was amazed at how many people I saw just hanging out in the ticket office and they were coming and going. And so I could stop and say hello to people and, 
and, and you know, if they needed, had a problem and needed to come by and see me, I could always say, hey, I'm in the box office. Just come by the box office anytime you get here. So, um, I, you know, I've really kind of settled into a routine. If I hang out in the box office most of the game, once the game starts, I may roam through our premium areas and, and say hello to people. And, and I roam around and, and go to different areas of the stadium. And usually in the fourth quarter, I go and sit down with my family and, and try to enjoy the fourth quarter uh, with my family there and, uh, and enjoy that part of the game too. So um, I don't really have any specific duties on game day. I just try to handle things that come up that need to be handled. And, and if, uh, if I don't have to handle anything, then that means we've had a good day and everything's run smoothly. You know, you mentioned that you were doing these small duties, starting off with just playing music, um, doing different timesheets. So let's start off with your first position um, in 1995 as the development coordinator at Oklahoma State University. And if you could just take us through the timeline of going from Oklahoma State to James Madison and then ending up in Mississippi State in 2000, how did you go? What was uh, how did you go from job to job? How did that opportunity come about? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Um, you know, I, I, I started by talking about relationships, and I guess I'll, I'll start with relationships. I, I did my master's degree at, uh, at Appalachian State. When I finished, you know, and I'll date myself, and I'll talk a little bit about how old I am. When I finished at Appalachian <laughs> State, that was, really, that was really kind of before the Internet, right? And so now uh, everybody applies for jobs all over the Internet and looks at websites, and you get the, the D1 ticker and all those types of things. And you know, back then we got the NCAA news. It was an, an actual newspaper and there were one ads in the back, right? And so I was applying for jobs all over the, the place, all over the country because of the NCAA news and the one ads in the back. And I applied for a job at Oklahoma State and it was one of many that I applied for. And I got a call back from Oklahoma State and it really wasn't about the job that I had applied for. The job that I had applied for, they had filled internally and it opened up another position because they filled it internally. And, um, and they, they pulled my resume out of the pile simply because the, uh, the person that was doing the hiring was an Appalachian State grad. And I, I did not know him. Um, we had never met before. But because I had Appalachian State on my resume, that's the reason he pulled my resume out of the pile. And so, you know, we got to know each other. And, um, and I was crazy enough. It was really basically a glorified internship. And I was crazy enough to get in my car and drive out to Oklahoma and interview for the job, even though they really didn't have a budget to, to fly anybody out there or do anything like that. Because like I said, it was, it was like an internship. And so, you know, I drove out there and I talked to them in person and they, they gave me the opportunity to start there. It was a, it was a really low level kind of, kind of job that really didn't pay much. And, and I was just about to get married. My wife was a teacher. So we packed up and just moved out there and got started. And, at the time, I was I was a development coordinator. They had a volunteer fundraising program, and I covered the western half of Oklahoma. And we got out on the road and just just covered the western part of the state and, and got people out there to to help us raise money. They were alums and and OSU posse members, and they they helped us raise money for for Oklahoma State. And it's interesting that at the time, just to give you an idea of of where where we all are in our careers, the person who got the job that I applied for that I took his place was Chad Weiberg, who's right, right now is the deputy AD at, at Oklahoma State. And the person who was covering the Eastern half of Oklahoma State uh, for Oklahoma State when I was covering the Western half was Michael Offord, who's now the uh, AD at Central Michigan. So we all kind of worked together at the time at Oklahoma State. And, um, and that's kind of how we got started. And I still have a relationship with, with all those people. And the person who hired me out there, who was also an Appalachian State grad was Chuck Bettingfield. And Chuck um, left Oklahoma State and 
went to Iowa State for a while and then came down here at Mississippi State. And that's kind of how I had the connection to Mississippi State. So, you know, all of those things kind of work out, work together to, uh, to kind of guide you through your career. And uh, it all goes back to who you have the relationships with and, and kind of how you advance through, through your career. But I, I, I stayed at Oklahoma State for almost three years and then um, something popped open in James Madison and it was an opportunity for us to get back towards the, the East Coast. And, um, and I went back to, to James Madison for about three years and did some more work in their annual fund there and, and really enjoyed James Madison. But after a few years was, was ready to, uh, to, to make another move and had a great opportunity here. And because I had a connection with Chuck down here at, uh, at Mississippi State, an opportunity to come to a power five school in the SEC was something that was very appealing to me. And so um, took that opportunity and, and have been here ever since. And it's been a, been a really enjoyable experience being down here. And a lot of things, a lot of great things have happened here at Mississippi State that we've been fortunate to be a part of. And, and uh, it's really been a lot of fun. So we really talked about this the last episode we had. It was mainly focused on like internships and whether they're worth it to be paid or unpaid. And you mentioned like your first really big job was with Oklahoma State. Um, and you mentioned it wasn't paid a whole lot of money. Would you say that that was worth it in the long run, in the long run towards your career and like building your experience and everything? Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. I mean, you know, we, uh, and I think my wife would agree with me if, if she were here, but you know, we, we kind of took a shot in the dark on that. You know, we, um, we had no connection to, to Oklahoma state. It was, you know, we were East coast kids. I'd grown up in the Washington DC suburbs and she'd grown up in North Carolina and, you know, basically, I think I was making $12,000 when I went to Oklahoma State. I think that's how much they were paying me. She actually, um, she took a leave of absence from her job in North Carolina, just in case we ended up having to pack our stuff and turn around and go back home. You know, we, we, we didn't know how it was going to work out, but we were just kind of took a flyer, right? I mean, just packed our car and moved out there, didn't know anybody, didn't have any family out there and just kind of took a chance because we knew that, I mean, things a lot of things have changed in this business, but a lot of things haven't. And one of the things that hasn't changed is it's really hard to get started. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to get your foot in the door and find a place to, to really get rolling. And, um, and we knew, I mean, as many jobs as I had applied for and as many rejection letters as I had gotten, as soon as somebody, you know, just cracked the door a little bit, I mean, I was going to jump through it. I was going to drop my shoulder and bust through there as best as I could. And, and I really kind of felt fortunate that, the first opportunity I had was at a place like Oklahoma State where, you know, it was pretty well known. It was a, it was a pretty big conference. And, you know, so we were going to go, we were going to go full speed, pedal to the metal and do whatever we could to try to get started. And, uh, but, but it was not without risk. And yeah, looking back on it now, a hundred percent, it was worth doing it. And, and I, and I know that, that, that a lot of young people are faced with that same decision today is, you know, do I, do I have to, Am I going to have to do this for no money? Am I going to have to, to, to pack up and move? Am I going to have to, to really, you know, struggle for a couple of years to, to make this work? And I mean, I, I've got, I've got, I've got four kids and two of them are in college right now. And two of them are working, you know, in, internships in the department and they're, they're not really making any money. And I tell them the same thing, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to make that sacrifice on the front end and it's going to pay off in the long run. You know, you just, it's just part of the way that this business works. And, uh, It'll, it'll pay off for sure. Now, so, you know, you talked about the importance of this, right? And you talked about the first person who was going to give you that crack of opportunity. You were going to jump in um, and do what you have to do. 
So what is your advice to the people out there who are, um, they get the first internship, the first opportunity, how do they make the best out of that opportunity? You know, I, I tell, um, I tell my kids and I, I tell young people in this department all the time that, um, you know, you really have to do, you have to do something that differentiates yourself a little bit. And, and that's not always about, you know, sometimes it's about being able to do things that other people can't do, but, but that's not always what it's about. You know, it's, it's sometimes it's about being the person who never says no. Um, you know, sometimes it's about, um, just, just always being around. Um, I know when I was a student at Charlotte, I felt like, you know, sometimes it was just by happenstance because I really didn't have anything better to do, but I felt like I was just always around. You know, I had my, I had my hours that I was scheduled to be in the ticket office working, but if I wasn't in class and if I didn't have anything to do, I would just go up there and I'd just hang around. Mm -hmm. Um, if they said they needed something, Hey, we need, we need somebody who can do whatever. I mean, I would say, yeah, I'll do that. I mean, I'll do it. Uh, and I tell my, my kids all the time, you know, if, if you're in a, if you're in an intern meeting and they say, Hey, we need somebody to do something. And you're probably going to have to be there at six o'clock in the morning. Say, yes, say, you'll do that because not a lot of kids are going to say, boy, that's too early for me. And if you're the one who says, yes, I can do that, then that, that's something that differentiates you from somebody else. And sometimes it's just as simple as being the one who says yes, uh, because a lot of people are either going to say no, or they're not going to say anything at all. And you just have to, you just have to be the one who, who makes yourself stand out. Um, and sometimes that's hard, but sometimes it's not so hard and you just have to, you just have to make that effort. Um, and, and, and I think that's the most important thing, really. Now, where did this, it seems like from, from what you're talking about and your life experiences, right? You, you were willing to jump into opportunities. You were willing to take an internship where you got paid only $12,000. You already, you were about to get, you were about to get married or you're married. Um, you're, she took a leave from her work. Um, so where did this mindset come from? It was this something that you were, you, you were instilled at a young age or is this something that you built over time, this willingness to do things? Yeah, I think it was a couple of things. I mean, I think, um, I think it was, it was partly the way I was raised. You know, I, I think that, um, you know, my, my dad was kind of like that. He was, um, you know, he was, he was a hard worker and he, he kind of taught me that way to, um, to work hard all the time and to never, make excuses and to be accountable for everything. Um, I think the other part of it was when I, when I really, and, and I went to college really not knowing what I wanted to do. I was, my parents didn't graduate from college. So I was kind of a, um, I was a first generation college mm -hmm. kid, I guess. My, my, my dad had gone to college, but he didn't graduate. So I, I guess sort of a first generation college kid, I suppose, in a way. Um, you know, I, I um, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I got there. And so when I started volunteering around the athletic department and that was kind of a, an accident that I started doing that. And it never really occurred to me that you could make a career out of sports. Right. I mean, I, I had played sports in high school, but I, I didn't play in college. And so when I got around it and uh, realized that all these people who were doing all these things at the games, that that was their real, that was their job, right. That they, they got up in the morning and went to work and that was what they did all day. And that was their, their, their career, 
then I kind of started thinking, you know, hey, that's that's something I could do. I, I can enjoy this and I can make a career out of this. And I was really fortunate that um, that there were people in that department who who, um, you know, who treated me like a staff member. The, the day athletic directors at the time, I was a freshman when Jeff Mullins was the athletic director. And and then, um, you know, he stepped down just to be basketball coach only. And Judy Rose took over as the athletic director. And you know, they, they treated everybody in that department the same. And so they, they treated me as a student worker the same way that they treated everybody else on that staff. And, and I spent a lot of time with Judy and she was open enough to, to have frank conversations with me about what it took to, to get to where she was. And, you know, without, without being able to sit down and talk to Judy, I don't think I would have ever gone to graduate school. She was the one who told me, you know, this is what you need to do to get to this point in your career. And, you know, she was the one that, that kind of gave me that guidance. And so, you know, I think having the right kind of mentors and surrounding yourself with the right kind of people who can guide you uh, in your career and, and people that you trust and, and people that you're willing to listen to and, and just kind of having that, that, that right core group of people around you that, that you trust and, and that you want to emulate, I think is really important. And so, and that takes, you know, I guess having a clear vision of what you want and a clear vision of, you know, the people around you and, and, and what you, what you really want to do with your life, I think is really important. So were there any other mentors that really stood out to you that kind of helped you guide the path to get to where you are right now? Yeah, you know, I would say, you know, the, the people at Charlotte, you know, I, Julie, Julie was really very influential for me early on. Um, when I got to, um, I think when I got to uh, Oklahoma State, you know, Chuck, Chuck with Bettingfield was really um, somebody that was very important to me and, and really had a great deal of influence on me professionally. Chad Weiberg, somebody I still um, consider to be a very good friend and very influential on me. Um, obviously being here at Mississippi State, having the, the opportunity to work with uh, Greg Byrne and, and Scott Strickland and, and people like that who have have had a great deal of influence on me and really taught me a lot about how this profession works. Um, you know, I, I think I've just been fortunate all the way through my, my whole career to work for really good people and people who I consider to be leaders in this industry um, and really innovators in a lot of way. Um, you know, Judy was one of the, the first female athletic directors. I think she was the, maybe the second or third female division one athletic director. Um, you know, and obviously working here for, for Scott and, and Greg Byrne, two of the two of the best athletic directors in the country right now, and having a chance to work for them early on in their careers um, was really eye-opening for me to, to watch people like that and, and be around them uh, at that stage in their career and, and really learn a lot from them. So um, I think a lot of it's just been timing and uh, really good fortune for me in a lot of ways, but I've tried to capitalize on it and, and learn from them as best as I could. Um, how did pursuing a master's, um, I guess, put you ahead of a lot of candidates in your field that, I guess, pursue the same career that you're pursuing right now? Yeah, you know, that's, um, I, I guess back then, um, not as many people were going on to graduate school as, as maybe are now. Uh, I think when I graduated from Appalachian State, I think there were maybe six people in the, my graduating class. Um, and I can remember, you know, sitting down with... Um, with Judy when I was getting ready to graduate and, and telling her, you know, I really want to do what you, what you do. Uh, I really want to have a career like yours. 
and and she said to me, you need to get your master's degree. You, that's essential. You need to go do it and you need to do it before you get too sidetracked and do something else. Um, and it, it probably doesn't really matter where you get it from, but if you're going to be in higher education administration, which is what we do, you need to have your master's degree. And so I, I did, I took a year off and I worked for a year to save a little money and kind of re-energize a little bit because I was not a big fan of going to class every day. So I felt like I needed a little bit of a break. Um, so I did, I spent a year um, working and then I turned around and went back to Appalachian State. And, um, and I think it did make a big difference. I mean, at the time, you know, people do take for granted sometimes that, that even though we do work in, in athletics, this is a higher education environment. So, you know, you kind of do have to have that, that background. And I think it's very, very helpful um, to have that master's degree and, and to have that, that on your resume. Um, but at the same time, I think it, it is what you make of it, right? I mean, you can't, you can't just go through the motions and, and have it and never really, never really exercise that part of your mind. Um, and I think your approach is, is important too. And I, and I tell, I tell a lot of our students here that, um, you know, you need to be careful what you study when you get your master's degree that, you know, you need to take, if, if you're going to do sports admin, I think that's great. I did sports admin. Um, I had a business undergrad degree. Um, it, it, you know, depending on what your undergrad is in, I think the way this business works nowadays, you need to have a really um, as strong of an understanding of finance as you can. So if you're going to have a, if you're going to go do sports admin, if you don't have a business undergrad degree, then you need to make sure your electives are going to be in business and some, you know, at some level. So you need your electives to be accounting or, or finance or economics or whatever. It just having that kind of background helps you uh, at some level um, that, that you really, if you're going to, if you think you want to be an athletic director, you need to be able to understand money and, and finance and accounting and how, how that part of our business works. Um, so I think a master's degree is important, but I think making sure that you get it in the right way and, and, and get the right elements of it uh, is also really important. So not don't just get it in anything, but make sure uh, the certain classes are, are for a certain purpose, like anything, everything yeah. you do has to be for a certain purpose and not just for the heck of it kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you mentioned, you know, you talked about having a clear vision and a clear, clear goals. So when you started in 1995, what you're doing now in 2020, is this what you envisioned for yourself? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I, you know, there was, um, you know, I, I, I would have, I would have told you that if you told me I would be having anything to do with fundraising at this level, I would have told you, no, you're crazy. I thought fundraising isn't not really what I wanted to do. You know, I always kind of figured I'd be in, in marketing, um, forever. Mm -hmm. But I guess, you know, sometimes the people around you kind of identify where they think your strengths lie. You know, I think Chuck, Chuck had a vision of me as a, as a fundraiser for whatever reason. And I think it, you know, just, just for, to clarify a little bit, you know, what I do here at Mississippi State is I'm in the fundraising area, but I'm not a major gifts fundraiser. Uh, we've got a, an outstanding staff of guys and, and, and women who do a really good job of major gifts fundraising. And that's, that's not really what I do. I'm more on the annual fund side. Everything I do is seat priority related and, and ticketing and annual funds. And that, that's a different type of fundraising than major gifts fundraising. So everybody that I've worked for has kind of 
led me in that direction towards annual fund fundraising. And even for a while at James Madison, I, I was out of athletics and I was on the university side doing annual fund fundraising for the university. So I've always just kind of gravitated towards that area for whatever reason, but that this is not where I thought I'd end up, but life just kind of works out that way. And you, you kind of end up where your strengths lie and, and that's fine. I, I wouldn't change anything at all. And it's, it's, it's funny because, and I'm not going to lie, I'm going to tell the truth, but especially when I talk to people like you with so much experience or people in upper positions, I always get kind of freaked out because I'm like, you're kind of overwhelming with me with all these different things you're talking about. And I, I don't know what you're talking about. And obviously I don't have that information yet. So how did you, I'm sure there was a, a progression, a transition from 1995 to 2020 where you did learn all these things. So how did you learn all these things? Uh, you know, a lot of it is, is just from experience. A lot of it is, again, being around the right people. And, you know, I'd be lying if I, if I didn't tell you that, you know, there have been times when, you know, I'd, I'd be sitting in a meeting at Oklahoma State and, or, or at James Madison and somebody would bring something up and I wouldn't have a clue what they were talking about. And I'd have to go back to the office and look it up somewhere on the, mm-hmm. on the computer or whatever. You know, sometimes you just, and sometimes you just got to stop somebody and say, man, I, I, I really don't know. You're going to, you're going to have to explain that to me. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I, I remember when I was at James Madison, um, the first time I went over and we, we had a really, really good relationship with our central development office on campus. And they did a lot of our telephone fundraising for us. And, and, and they had a great phone center that the students operated and they called and, and raised a lot of money for us on the phone. And so, I would go over and, and, and work with them in the, the call center to do calls for athletics. And they had all these segments, right? And they had these, these, they would call these different segments on different nights and they had these, these things up on the board and they would say, okay, tonight we're going to call live bunts, mm-hmm. live bunts, live bunts, live bunts. And after about an hour and a half, I said, I, y'all keep talking about live bunts. I don't know what you're talking about. What is a live bunt? I don't know what that means. And they all laughed and they were like, Libunts, it's, it's, a, it's an acronym. It stands for last year, but unfortunately not this year. There's people that had, gave, had given last year, but unfortunately not this year. Oh, okay, Libunts. And then there's Cybunts. You know, Cybunts, Libunts, Cybunts, Nevergivers. They had all these different names for everybody. And I just didn't know. And now I go, now I hear that term all the time. And at least I know what it means. But, you know, at some point, sometimes you just got to stop and ask. And I, you know, I figure uh, sometimes it's better just to, to ask and get the information than to run around and be ignorant about it. So that's just part of it. It's part of growing up in the business. It's part of, uh, it's part of growth, really. It's just the way it is. So since you, I'm assuming you've made a ton of phone calls through like the ticket office and everything, are there any funny stories you have or <laughs> anything that stands out for you? You know, we've got, uh, we've all got, I think our share of funny stories. You know, it's interesting that people are, um, most of the most of the conversations that we have with people come from a really genuine place, and 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 I, I'll say this: if it weren't for um, Greg Byrne, had a great saying. You know, the, the best thing about our business is the passion and enthusiasm that people have for their teams, and sometimes the worst thing about this business is the passion and enthusiasm that people have for their teams. But I'll, I'll tell I'll I'll say this: we all we all deal with people who have a, a great deal of passion, and sometimes that passion brings about something that they're not happy about and we have to deal with it and solve problems for them. And that's, that's a wonderful part of our, our business because if, if nobody was, was passionate and if nobody had a, an issue that needed to be solved, then we wouldn't, we wouldn't be in business. We wouldn't have uh, we wouldn't have anything to worry about when we don't have anything to worry about. That's when times are bad. 
but I'll tell you a funny story the, the, the reason, and I, I try to remind myself of this every time I have a, uh, a phone call that's, that's not pleasant or that's difficult to, to, to manage. The, really the reason that I'm in this business at the bottom, at the end of the day, the reason I'm in this business is because when I was a freshman at Charlotte, a bunch of my friends and I went to a basketball game and we got upset about something about our seats, our student seats. And we sent a letter complaining to the athletic director and the athletic director sent somebody to respond to us and to answer that complaint. And the way they answered that complaint was to invite us to participate on a student athletic advisory committee. Mm -hmm. And that ended up inviting us to be volunteers in the ticket office to help with ticket distribution. And I was one of the ones that took them up on that offer to be a volunteer in the ticket office. And that's the way I got involved in this business. So every time I have a really difficult phone call, I remember that I'm here because I complain. So maybe that's part of my penance. I don't know, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's a great you know, story. It's a that's great kind story. of the way it happened. What goes around comes around, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> so let me, uh, let me know if this rings a bell, but in February 13, 2018, um, at PACnet, there was a speaker session on the new narrative, telling your story to create a philanthropic culture. Was this something, was this something you were part of? He, I may have been, I know I've spoken at PacNet a couple of times. I spoke mm -hmm. there last week, actually. So what do you think? So what do you think telling your story to create a philanthropic culture means? Cause I think it's a big topic um, in kind of your area and kind of in the whole sports uh, college athletics area right now. Yeah. You know, I think, um, and again, it, this goes back to what I was talking about a few minutes ago with, with the way our office is structured and the way that what I do is really related to giving for um, seating and th things like that. So most of what I deal with is transactional in nature mm -hmm. and we work really hard to convert uh, a lot of our people to make a philanthropic gift. And, and, um, and I think it's really important, especially in today's world that people understand the holistic nature of a student athlete. And so we, we try really hard to explain what our student athletes do on a day-to-day -day basis. We, we, uh, we think that if our donors have a better understanding of the student athlete and what we provide to the student athlete, that there's a greater likelihood that they will participate in a philanthropic way mm -hmm. and give money more than what they need to give to get their seeds. For example, we, we have seats in our football stadium and our basketball arena and our baseball stadium that you, you have to give X number of dollars per seat to get those seats. And we have some people who will give, if you, get, if you sit in a section where it requires a $500 per seat gift and you get four seats in that section, some people will give $2,000 to get those four seats and that's, that's all they give. And that's great, that's wonderful, that's a generous gift. That's a significant amount of money and that, that should not be that should not be taken for granted because that is a lot of money. But what we would like to encourage those people to do is to take a look at the entirety of the Bulldog Club and what we provide to our student athletes. And we would like them to say, well, given all that we're providing and given the, the costs associated with running the athletic department and the costs of the, all the things that we're providing for our student athletes, we'd like them to give the $2,000 for those seats and maybe an additional $500, maybe an additional $1,000 to support everything that's going on. So we wanna really encourage that philanthropic culture among our donors. And, and, and we do raise a tremendous amount of money 
philanthropically to support facilities projects. So if we're building a new, we just built a $68 million baseball stadium and we raised a tremendous amount of money philanthropically to support that project. But we'd also like to be able to raise unrestricted dollars on a regular annual basis to just support student athlete programming, to just support whatever causes that we have to support all of our student athletes and everything that they do. And so I think it's important to make sure that, that we're sharing the story of everything that our student athletes are involved in and everything that we're doing to provide every opportunity that we have. And it goes back to what I talked about at the very beginning, the experience. We want the student athlete experience to be special. We want the fans experience to be special. And all those experiences coming together uh, is what really tells the story that encourages the philanthropic giving among our donor base. So I'm just trying to get an idea because you said unrestricted. So you're meaning, so, so with, when somebody donates, right? So when you donate, are you donating towards a certain, uh, certain project? Is that how it works? You can be at times. So mm -hmm. if, if you're, if, for example, when we built our baseball stadium, if you were giving specifically to the baseball stadium, that was restricted to that particular project. So any money okay. that you donated for that stadium project was restricted just to that project. We have an unrestricted Bulldog Club fund that if you give to that fund, that's just a gift to athletics, to support athletics for whatever, whatever uh, uh, reason that, that athletics uh, needs it for. And so that's, that's an unrestricted gift that just goes into our general athletics fund. Mm -hmm. um, it could be for scholarship support. It could be for any student athlete uh, need that we have. And so those, those are the kind of philanthropic gifts that, that we're trying to raise on a regular annual basis. And of course, the, the, the major gift fundraising to, to support facilities is always gonna be extremely important to us. And we always have a campaign going. So we finished the baseball stadium campaign and we are already in a campaign to, to do a renovation on our basketball arena. And those campaigns are always gonna be ongoing because we're always gonna have a need for facility gifts. But we're also always gonna have needs, unrestricted needs for scholarship dollars and other programs to support student athletes. So. Those things are always going to be always going to be ongoing and we're always going to have a need to continue to tell the story of our student athletes and everything that they're involved in. And, and I think that's just always going to be really important to make sure that, that there is a philanthropic culture. You know, we, we don't want, we just don't want people to, to always be transactional in their giving. And by transactional, I mean back to what I was talking about with the seats. We, we don't want people to always think, well, I'm giving this money just so I can get these seats. Mm -hmm. We want them to be thinking, I'm giving this money to support the athletic program and to support our student athletes at Mississippi State. We want it to be a, to be a, a philanthropic gift to support uh, more so than just a transaction to, to get the seats. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's, what we, that's what we really want is to change that, that mindset and to, to really have it be a, a charitable gift to support everything here in, in the athletic program. And I think back to this whole about you're telling about, you know, you don't want it to just be a transactional thing. I think about this book I read by um, Simon Sinek, uh, What Is Your Why? And it talks about how like the great companies like Apple, um, when they're selling stuff, it, they focus on the why. So like how you were saying, focusing on the story of the student athletes, not necessarily that they're buying the tickets, but that they're supporting these people, they're supporting these kids, they're supporting these people who, who got these opportunities from all, all across the country. So how is it that you guys um, bring this story to life? Like, how do you make it aware to everybody? Well, we do, um, 
you know, we do as much as we can to try to just make sure that our student athletes are, are front and center. Um, we use social media a lot. We, we create a lot of videos. We, um, and we do a lot with our student athletes. And, and, and to be honest with you, I mean, you guys are both student athletes. So, you know, that the number of hours that are, are put in on and off the fields and, 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 you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys were involved in a lot of activities too, where you might go out into the community to work with, with youth groups, or you might go do some other things on campus. And, uh, and, and we try to, to do what we can to promote those events and make sure that people know that our student athletes are doing those things and, and, and that they know that they're engaged with other parts of the community and other parts of the university to, to, to make sure they see that, that they're not just here to play a sport, that they're doing other things as well and that, that they're getting a well-rounded education and a well-rounded experience. You know, the flip side of that is that there are, there are times when you know, when as a student athlete, you may want to do something that, that, that is important to you that you might not want to be publicized. And, and I think that's the case with all, with all great athletes who have a platform to do things. I, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but you know, you, you've heard stories now about Kobe Bryant and some of the things that he used to do that were way under the radar that he did not want publicized. And so, you know, we, we have uh, student athletes who do a lot of things that, that don't get recognized. Uh, and sometimes we don't, they don't want to be recognized on purpose. They want to do things that, uh, that they just want to do on their own personal time because they, they just do it because that's the kind of people they are. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, we don't want to be, um, we don't want to be intrusive, but at the same time, we do want, we do want people to know that they are, that they are doing things that, that are important to the community. And so we do try to tell that story as best as we can. And, and we do have a, uh, a student athlete development program. We did a, um, we did a service project over in the Delta where uh, we took some student athletes over and did a, did a Habitat for Humanity project over in the Delta. And they spent the night over there and did a, a couple days uh, working on a Habitat house over in the Delta. And, and we do projects like that with them so, uh, so people can just can see what all they're involved in and what all they're engaged in on campus, which I think is really, really important. And it's not just important that people see that they're doing those kinds of things. I think it's important to, for the student athletes to, to, to be, to be involved in those types of things for their own personal development, as well as for, uh, for the community to, to, to see them doing those types of things. Um, you know, our, our student athletes and really, really a student athlete anywhere has a different kind of platform than, than students who are not participating in athletics. And so I think for, for them to have the opportunity to do those kinds of things is really important. And so when, when people see that, that they're taking advantage of those, of those opportunities and taking advantage of that platform, I think it, it helps to tell that story and I think it motivates people to, to support that. So now let's bring it back to current day. What would you say is your goal for the rest of your career? Um, I, I think I would have told you when I first got to Mississippi State that that I would anticipate being here three to five years and I would probably, you know, move on and do something different. And now I've been here 20 years and I, I'm not sure what, what is next for me. Um, I, um, I've lived in Starville longer than I've lived any place in my life. When I got here, my oldest child was 12 weeks old and now he's almost 20. And, and I think that, um, you know, I've been really fortunate. I was talking to, to one of my coworkers this morning and I, that there aren't many, um, I don't think there are many people in, in my position who have, have had the opportunity and the good fortune to, to advance and in, into a position that like I'm in at the same school. 
you know, most people have to have to move around and, and go to different places. And so I, I feel very, very blessed to have had the opportunity to, to advance in my career and stay at one place. It's, it's afforded me the opportunity to, to raise my family uh, and to be in a community where it's small enough that if I need to jump in the car at, at lunch and run downtown to, to my kid's school and watch them perform in a play or, or play in a, a band concert or something, I can do that with really, without missing work. If we have a seven o'clock ball game and I, I want to run home and have dinner with my family before I come back to the ball game, I can do that. You know, you can't necessarily do that in Minneapolis, right? I mean, it's, you can't do that. Um, no, yeah, so, not as easy. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I feel really, really blessed to have had that opportunity. And so I don't know, uh, I, you know, I feel like there's a, there's a, a big, big part of me that, that thinks that, you know, working here for another 10 or 15 years would be, would be something that I would cherish the opportunity to do. If, if, if the opportunity came along to, 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 to be an athletic director at another school, was that, you know, was that something I would look at and consider, you know, probably, but at the same time, this is a place here that, you know, I, I, I have more, I have more memories. I have more emotion invested in Mississippi state than, than either one of my alma maters. Not that I don't mm -hmm. love them both and they mean a, a tremendous amount to me, but you know, Mississippi state is, um, Mississippi State has, has an awful lot of my heart invested in it right now. So I think I'd be hard pressed to find any other place that I'd rather be right now. Now, how do I, coming from someone who's been in the career for a while, and it seems like you have a good balance of things. Obviously, Olivia and I are, are young. We're, we're just starting off. And I think we both are people who kind of, you know, head down, sprinting, trying to chase after our goals. How do we keep the balance in our life, though? What is the secret? What is your tips for that? Yeah, you know, I think that um, I think that's really important uh, to keep that balance. And I, I think as long as you as long as you feel like you're doing what you love, I think that's really really important. You know, I, I, I've 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 been fortunate enough to feel to never really have a day that I didn't feel like I loved what I did. You know, there have certainly been some days when I've gone home and thought, "Holy cow, what am I doing?" <laughs> But I, I've loved it. Uh, I've always loved it. I, I think, you know, making sure that the people around you, you know, obviously, and, and I'll, I'll talk about relationships again, you know, you're always going to have relationships with people who, who are not in this business, whether it's, um, you know, your uh, significant other, uh, your, you know, your parents, your, your siblings, whatever, who, who may or may not understand what it is that you do. And certainly, you know, when it's, whether it's a, a spouse or a, uh, fiance, whatever, you know, those, those are when decisions are, are tough. You know, I, I, I think, I think you need to have that, you need to have that conversation and you need to make sure that everybody understands uh, how this business works pretty early on because we do spend a lot of time away from home and we do spend a lot of hours doing what we do. So I, I think, you know, you need to make sure that, that, that you understand that and that, that your that your your spouse or your boyfriend and girlfriend and fiance understands that as well and, and everybody's up front with one another. And I think too that that you need to figure out a way to you know to make that work. I, you know, whether that means that you know you're gonna they're gonna be at a, at the game and you're gonna be able to to 
you know, take this quarter and go sit with them, or you're going to be able to, you know, if, if you get off, you know, if your work, regular work day ends at five and the game starts at seven, you're going to spend an hour or so in there to sit down and have dinner with them. Or, you know, you work at a place that's flexible enough to game ends at nine 30 and, you know, you're going to be able to go in late the next morning or take an extra hour for lunch or whatever. You know, I think all those things are really important and you just got to make sure that that you make find a way to make that work. You know, I, I was fortunate enough that, that my wife and I, we, we had that conversation early on and before we got married and she understood what my hours were going to be like. And I understood what was important to her. And she came to a lot of games and I sat with her as much as I could. And, and uh, when we started having kids and we figured out a way to, to make it work. And part of the way we made it work was, was living in a town like Starville where I could, I could pop across town when I needed to and figure out a way to, to spend time with each other and, sneak away uh, at lunch when we could and find moments when they were findable. So uh, I think it's just important to, to be open and honest and have those conversations and just figure out a way to, to make things work. You speak very highly of Mississippi State. So I guess what makes Mississippi State so special to you and your family? You know, it, it, I don't know if you follow us on social media or, or know much about Mississippi State, but um, we, we, we talk a lot here about family and we tag and it really kind of started with Dak Prescott when he was here. And, you know, a lot of our, our social media posts get tagged with the, the hashtag family. We, we talk about that a lot here and it's not, it, it's not just a trite phrase that we use. I think we really mean it here. Um, you know, for, for the first 10 years I was here, I felt like the new guy. Uh, we have a lot of people that have been here for a long time. And that's just now starting to kind of transition over the last six or eight years. We've gotten a lot of a lot of new people in and our staff has really grown a lot. But the one thing that I think has stayed constant is um, is this place is really tight knit. You know, we really we really know each other well. We know each other's children. You know, we um, I got a call from I got a call from a coworker in the middle of the night, you know, like three o'clock in the morning, he had, he had had some kind of issue and had to take his wife to the, the hospital for something and needed to needed need somebody to take care of his kids. And so, you know, we got his kids in the middle of the night, took care of his kids. And, and I've had to make that same call. You know, I, I had to run to the hospital in the middle of the night for something and I had to get somebody to take care of my kids. And uh, when I first moved here, the, um, the guy that had the office next to mine, he was, he was the emergency contact for my kids at school. And, you know, it's just, we, we all, we all just kind of, we all know each other. Well, we know our spouses, we know our why our children. We, we, um, we all go to church together. We all, we all send our kids to school together. It's just a, it's just a really tight knit place. And um, it's not uncommon for us to come in on Monday morning and we don't need to know, we don't need to ask each other what we did because we all kind of know what we did. You know, we may not have done it together, but I'll, you know, I'll, I'll know, my, my daughter will come home and say, oh, I saw, I saw so-and-so at, you know, at, at some restaurant, or I saw, I saw so-and-so's son at, at the movie theater, and so I'll kind of know by the end of the weekend what everybody's done, um, and that has its pluses and minuses sometimes, but yeah, we're just, we're, we're like one big family, and, um, and that's kind of, that's kind of all I've ever wanted, you know, in my career was to be at a place where, where uh, we were all comfortable and where everybody took care of one another. And, and that's, that's kind of where we are right now.
Well, Mike, from myself first, I just want to say thank you for jumping on the Sports' Job podcast. You know, our our mission and our goal is to really create this community like you were talking about that you have at Starksville is about creating a community where no matter where you are around the country, that we want to be able to help each other in this industry. Yes, we work at different athletic departments. Maybe all of us do have different goals. But I think at the end of the day, it's all about the student athletes that we do work for, creating that experience for them. And I can tell you, you know, when you first said yes, I was very excited to have you on because, again, having somebody with your type of experience coming from where you're from, you know, sharing your personal experiences and your stories, it helps not only myself, but everyone else there who, who listens to this episode as well. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate you having me on and uh, best of luck to both of you. And if there's any, ever anything I can do to help you, please, please let me know. Thank you. And from Mike, Olivia and I, like we always say on the Sports is a Job podcast, we are all on our own individual journeys, but you are not alone.